Church, it's good to see everyone this morning. I hope you have smiling faces as we worship Christ together. And Pastor Mary is going to come, and uh, as she's preparing her notes, I wanted to share two things. One, I forgot to mention this in first service, that we are going to have a baptism on the 12th of September. And uh, the person that's getting baptized said, am I going to be the only one? And I said, well, I haven't announced it, so maybe some other people want to get uh, baptized as well. So if you believe in Jesus Christ and you want to be baptized, come and talk to me, and we want to seal the deal on that, and we'll do it on September the 12th and make plans for that. But be here for that. Look forward to it. And also, uh, we've had some people that want to be members. If you're interested in looking into what it means to be a member of the Church of the Nazarene, a member of the body of Christ as we do the mission here, uh, come and see me or um, send a message to, um, um, to the office. But uh, Pastor Mary recently uh, retired, as a, was a Methodist pastor for years. She's come uh, to be a part of the Church of Nazarene. We share same, uh, similar theological roots in John Wesley, holiness, discipleship. And also one of the things we want to encourage and emphasize is that the Church of the Nazarene ordains women to do ministry. We've done it from the beginning, coming out of the Methodist Church as well. We see that in the scriptures, not basing it on one verse, but an entirety of a holistic view of the scriptures is that God called women and they served and they preached and they spoke and they sang and they were involved and we want that so if God is ever speaking to you and you want to serve or or if you're led to do ministry let us know Um, so we're going to greet uh, Mary with a let's actually let's give her a hand as she's preparing to preach to us today good morning my friends I was I was worried about coming to the service because I thought I don't know anybody but I see a lot of folks that I know, and I'm glad to be a part of this service. I really am appreciative of Derek allowing me to come and and share the pulpit. It's been a year or more since I've preached, so um, I'm very thankful for that. I want to begin by sharing a verse from Psalm 66, verse 16. Come and listen, all who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. And that's what I plan to do. I want this to be an introduction. I want you to know who I am. As Derek mentioned, I just retired last May from the First Methodist Church here in town. But what many of you may not know is how I became a pastor and how I became a part of this particular congregation. So this morning is a testimony. I, Mary Shivers, that's my maiden name, Schmidt, was born and raised in a small town called Manchester. We're about 75 miles south of Atlanta, Georgia, in West Central. Growing up in the 50s and 60s, almost everyone attended either the Methodist or the Baptist Church. We had a few Catholic, Presbyterian, and Nazarenes thrown in. I attended a small high school. In fact, I have the picture of my kindergarten class, and it's almost the same people that I graduated with in 1974. We had 75 in our class. My parents were very active in the Methodist Church, and I knew from from a child that I was expected to go to church every Sunday, go to Sunday school, and as I got older, I went to youth group on Sunday night. I went through confirmation, was baptized, and joined the church when I was 11. Growing up as a typical teenager in the 70s, I loved rock and roll talking on the phone for hours with my friends, and then we'd ride around town on the weekends. My parents didn't mind too much because gas was only 35 cents a gallon, if any of y'all remember that. And they weren't worried about me because 
drugs didn't really become popular until my senior year. My parents or my, and my friends' parents did not drink. All my closest girlfriends were not interested in drinking or drugs, and we were not part of the in crowd that hung out at the local grocery store parking lot on the weekends. To be honest, I was very innocent and naive. Yet, I was drawn to spiritual things. Some of you may recall the show Dark Shadows. It was very popular, and surprisingly enough, I became interested in witchcraft. I remember going to our public library, reading all of their books on witches and demons. And at 15, I thought, maybe I should become a good witch and do things good. Not for God, but just do good things. But it was only years later after I became a true Christian that I realized God was placing a hedge of protection around me, even while I was a teenager. I really hated high school, especially the cliques. There were several mean girls that often hurt my feelings. Today, they call that bullying. During my junior year, I had my first boyfriend. His name was Dudley, and he had smoked grass and drank, but we never participated in those activities. After school was out that year, I was getting bored with our relationship, and we broke up. Interesting enough, right after that, Melinda, one of my best friends, had a cousin that was stationed in Fort Benning, Georgia, which was about an hour from Manchester. And he and his buddies would often want to get off the military base, and so they would come to Melinda's house. That's where I met Wayne. He was a cute, blonde, 19-year-old surfer from sunny California. He drove a fast blue Camaro, and I immediately fell for him. Wayne was so different from the other boys I knew, he was much more mature. Yeah, right. Anyway, we started dating, and he introduced me to Boone's Farm Wine, and even offered me some weed. But fortunately, he never pressured me to join him. On one of our very first dates, we participated in a drag race with the local boys. That's how the teenagers would spend their time on the weekends. Anyway, Wayne was beating the other guy, but when they caught a glimpse of a police car, they immediately took a cutoff. Wayne wasn't quite as familiar with our streets or our town, and he got pulled over. Immediately, he was told to report to the police station, and of course we did. I was scared. I thought, oh my goodness, if my parents find out about this, I'll never be able to see this guy again. Fortunately, the police had me wait in the car while Wayne went inside the station. And they didn't search me or the car. Otherwise, they would have found both alcohol and a small bag of marijuana in the glove compartment. Wayne got a speeding ticket, and my parents never found out. After dating three months, I was so in love. But again, God intervened. In late August, Wayne had ended his time of service with the military, and he immediately went home to California, and he left me with a broken heart. I was devastated and deeply depressed. It wasn't long before that depression led me to think that maybe I should kill myself, and I decided I would do it on a Sunday night when my parents were at church. 
But before I did anything, I decided to call Sally, which was another close friend who happened to live across the street. I wanted to tell her goodbye and for her to explain to my parents why I was killing myself. I was very overwhelmed with grief and hopelessness. You see, besides all of that with Wayne, I had a severe inferiority complex. I realized as I grew older that my mother actually had a mental illness. I felt all my life that I was never good enough. I never had affection or affirmation from her. She was constantly criticizing me, had negative attitude, and was very narcissistic, which left many emotional scars. Well, when I called Sally to tell her what was going on, she immediately said, come over and let's talk about it. So I went, and after hearing me cry about Wayne going back to California, my problems with Mama, she came up with an excellent idea. It seems that beginning that new school year, the district had introduced the semester system, and we could have early graduation. A senior could take senior English and government the first semester and then be done with school. They could leave and go on to college or get a job. And then they could come back if they chose to go through high school graduation in late May. Sally had already graduated and had just finished her freshman year in college at North Georgia College. This was a, a small college up in North Georgia mountains. She suggested that I not kill myself. She knew how I hated school and said, why don't you do that, finish up school in the fall, and then come up to North Georgia in January. And that's what I did. I loved college and my new freedom. I was able to make new friends, and I was away from Mama and Manchester. I lived in Sally's dorm, and there were always fun activities on campus. Down the hall were two, from my room were two girls that had a huge impact on my life. Their name was Danette and Maudie. They were both active in the Baptist Student Union, or we called it the BSU, and they invited me to join them for a weekly Bible study and other activities. Even though I had attended Sunday school and youth group growing up, I had never personally read or studied the Bible. And then the Lord opened my eyes and gave me a hunger for his word. Danette owned a living Bible, and I would often borrow it because she always had these really neat verses underlined. One day, I walked down into Danette's room feeling very depressed. She had a poster in her dorm room that said, Celebrate Life. So I asked her, Danette, what is so great about life to celebrate? She quickly replied, Well, you have a lot to celebrate if you're a Christian. Well, I puffed up then and said, well, I'm a Christian. I joined the church when I was 11. I was president of the youth group in my junior year. And I don't think that's a lot to celebrate. And then she came back at me. But do you know Jesus? Danette boldly asked. I replied, well, of course I do. He's God's son. But do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? Wow. Wow. I had never been asked that before. I had a void in my heart, and I didn't even realize it. I had no answer, so I just left her room without saying anything, but I never forgot 
her question. A month later, after we got back from spring break, I found out a group from the BSU had been invited to lead a youth uh, teen worship service up in the mountains. Our BSU president, Ricky, had asked me if I would be willing to give a testimony that night at the worship service. Well, I'll be honest, I was shocked. I had never given a testimony. I hated to talk in front of people. And besides, Methodists just didn't do that kind of thing. I had heard others give their testimonies at the Baptist church while in high school. And to be honest, I thought they were a bunch of fakes. Why? Because I'd seen some of them drunk at our community dances, and others had the reputation of sleeping around. To me, they were just a bunch of hypocrites. So I thought about it, and I said, Ricky, I don't have anything to say. But then he quickly came back and said, Mary, I've seen you grow. You've been involved in our Bible study these few months, and I see you drawing closer to God. So I said, well, I'll think about it, and I'd let him know before the service. After we arrived at the retreat center, there was some free time before dinner and the service. So I decided to go for a walk and talk to God about it. I struggled for a while, and then I cried out, Lord, if you are who they say they are, show me tonight. Well, that evening... We sat around the open campfire and sang some Christian songs, very informal, as different members of our BSU would get up and share their faith journey. I was sitting between Danette and Maudie, listening intensely to the words. Then all of a sudden, I felt God was leading me to get up and share something with the youth. I stood up and began to talk, and I felt God's presence. I realized these teens were actually my peers. Here I had just finished high school and turned 18. I told them how I hated my own high school years, going drag racing with Wayne and occasionally skipping school. I also told them that I had a hole in my heart that I had tried to fill with things like studying witchcraft or how to be popular with the boys. But it wasn't until Jesus came into my heart that I found purpose and meaning. I started crying, and a lot of the kids started crying too. And then at that very moment, on March the 26th, 1974, Jesus became my Lord and Savior of my life. Following the service, several of the teens came up to me and said that they too wanted to know this Jesus and before I could even say anything, I heard God's voice inside me. I literally heard a voice that said, Mary, I've called you to work with my kids. Well, at that point, I didn't even know what that meant. But I knew that I was going to follow Jesus. While in college, I attended several Baptist churches. My junior year, I decided to transfer to the University of Georgia because they had an excellent social work program. My Christian friends back at North Georgia were very worried because the university was considered Sin City. But while at the university, I got active at the BSU, attended Campus Crusade, and then a group of us who were all Christians began to hang out together. 
One thing that we had in common is many of us came from dysfunctional homes, and we became family for each other. We studied, we played, and we prayed together. And almost every weekend, we met at each other's apartment for dinner and fellowship. Going into my senior year in college, I went to summer school, thinking that God was leading me to be a social worker, a Christian social worker, to work with troubled teens. And I began to think about where I'd go for my master's in social work. One Sunday afternoon, I had a migraine and decided to rest before my roommate and I would be going to a worship service that evening. While resting, God spoke to me again. I recognized that voice. That was the same voice I had heard when I was a freshman. This time, God told me to return to the United Methodist Church, specifically to Young Harris Methodist Church. Now, this was a church about the size of this one. It was located near our Christian bookstore. And I hate to say this, but I argued with God. I'm sure none of you have, but I argued with him. And I gave him really serious reasons why I couldn't go back to the Methodist church. One, I didn't know anybody there. Two, it was a Methodist church. They didn't preach from the Bible. And three, they were just too liberal. Well, after a few minutes, in giving my excuses, God said, Mary, very sternly, I've called you to Young Harris Methodist Church. I realized I couldn't argue any longer. So that night, I went to Young Harris for their evening worship service. And as I walked into the sanctuary, God began to soften my heart. That night, their young pastor encouraged us to become active in the church and less in other activities. I was convicted. I had attended different Baptist churches all through college. I was active in several Christian groups, but I had never joined a church or got involved in it. After the service, the young pastor, Richard Lumpkin, immediately spotted me in the congregation, and he sought me out to welcome me. After chatting for a few minutes, I discovered that he had lived in Manchester at one time, and his mother had been our church secretary. Then as we chatted, he asked me what I did on Tuesday nights, and I said, oh, you know, various things, but nothing definite. He said, well, we have a lady in our church that has a college Bible study, and we'd, I'd like for you to meet Mrs. Jean Bishop. About that time, Jean was coming toward us, we met, and at that moment, I believe God made us both realize he was putting us together. And Jean would become a second mother for me. She was the most loving and supportive woman, the woman I never had growing up as a mother. Also, she was a spiritual giant. She taught me the Bible. She introduced me to the power of the Holy Spirit and how to pray she continued to be my prayer partner and mentor for 25 years. It was Mrs. Bishop that recognized that the call that God had given me my freshman year was for full-time ministry. A year after college graduation, God would lead me to a significant verse, Ephesians 2.10, for we're God's workmanship, related in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. 
As I read and studied that passage, I realized that even before I was born, God would later call me into ministry. Mrs. Bishop told me about Asbury Seminary and encouraged me to go there to get a degree in Christian education. Being a former Baptist, I believed I couldn't possibly be a pastor and preach, and I thought God was calling me to youth ministry. I received a master's in Christian education and served the director of youth and Christian education in a United Methodist Church in Savannah. Later, I moved on to Spartanburg, South Carolina, serving in a similar position. It was while I was living in South Carolina that I met an older clergywoman who was pastoring a small Methodist church. Our friendship grew and I shared how I was beginning to become dissatisfied with what I was doing. And I felt like God wanted me to do something else or something more. She just listened and then she said, Mary, did you ever think God was calling you to be an ordained minister? I started crying. But eight months later, through much prayer and counsel with some wonderful godly pastors, God led me to Candler School of Theology at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, where I was going to receive a Master of Divinity. It was there that I met James McMillan. He was a fellow student from the Texas Annual Conference. We were married my senior year. After graduation, we moved to Houston, Texas, where we both were appointed churches. In 1989, we became elders in the Methodist Church. In 1990, God blessed us with a son, Joshua James. In 92, I was appointed as pastor at Christ Methodist Church, which is in South Houston near Hobby Airport. It was an exciting and yet challenging time. Before I came to Christ Church, I was very dry spiritually. Prior to this appointment, James and I both had been associates at another larger Methodist church, but had a very difficult work relationship with the senior pastor. One month after moving to our new churches, I drove to the hospital to visit a church member. On the way back to church, I remembered we had a Christian bookstore nearby went in and felt strangely drawn to books on prayer. I knew I had to preach a sermon every Sunday, and I felt like I was in a desert. I needed to be recharged spiritually if I was going to be effectively pastoring this church. Obviously, God had additional plans. Because just before I got back to the church, an oil gas truck rear-ended me. This accident led to a two-year medical and legal battle. For two years, I had to take physical therapy three times a week. I was required to rest an hour every afternoon on a heating pad. And on Sundays, I could, I could only preach from a stool. Shortly after the accident, I remember those books that I had purchased on prayer. It seemed as if God was speaking to me through those pages. And I felt the Holy Spirit stirring my heart. During one of those quiet afternoons, God again spoke to me and said he wanted me to become an intercessor and a prayer warrior for others. 
He gave me a passion for prayers. And those of you who know me know how prayer is so important in my life. Unfortunately, in 1998, James and I got a divorce after 13 years of marriage. I remained in the Texas Annual Conference until 2014. In 2006, I married Stan Bates. I chose a family leave of absence because Stan had a serious heart condition. In 13, we tried to come back into the ministry, but was told that we didn't have enough churches. We had more pastors that were in the conference than we had churches for them. In spring of 2014, we decided to attend an interim ministry conference. I thought maybe I could become an interim pastor if I couldn't serve a church full time. While at this conference, I met the district superintendent of the Wyoming District of the Mountain Sky Conference. I found out that Wyoming had a shortage of Methodist pastors. And she asked, would I be interested in serving a church there? Stan and I did a lot of praying and discerning and finally made the decision to move to Casper, where I became the associate pastor at the First United Methodist Church beginning on July the 4th. July 14. Now, since 2000, I began to see a shift happening in the Methodist Church. Back in the 90s, Bible study became a strong emphasis in the church, but as our culture became more liberal, as did the church. My home conference there in Texas was mostly traditional and evangelical, but when I moved here, I discovered mountain skies, not Texas. They were much more liberal, and I felt like a fish out of water. I was unable to make a strong connection with any of my colleagues in this conference. Fortunately, I had enough conservative friends in the church that made up for the lack of clergy connection. Right after we moved in December of 2014, Stan died of complications following heart surgery. The church expected me to leave and go back to Texas, but I felt God was telling me to stay, that I was to continue to serve in the church, and I was specially needed for the years ahead with some of the issues that we struggled with. In 2016, I met Don Schmidt, and I'm proud to say he's in the congregation this morning. He's a retired Riverton native, proud Wyoming and a member of the Missouri Senate of the Lutheran Church. We bought a house here and called Casper our home. In 2018 and 19, the Methodist Church began to make plans for our general conference that meets every four years. General conference is made up of annual conference delegates from the entire world. And plans were being made to finalize a split in the United Methodist Church. It looked like one would go the denomination of a traditional conservative and the other would be more liberal. This coming event weighed very heavily on my mind and heart. Late summer of 2019, we had a family birthday party. Guess who was there? Jackson and Renee Stewart. I talked to them about their church. I didn't know much about the Nazarene church. But they proudly told me that Derek was a fantastic preacher. He preached the word of God and that the people here had strong convictions. 
Well, November 2019, Donna and I attended a retirement seminar back in Texas. I knew I wanted to retire as a United Methodist pastor before the split. My last Sunday was May 30th, 2020. In June of last year, I had major surgery on my neck. And as, a, as I recovered, I did a lot of praying and discerning of what I was to do next. By now, many of my closest friends, including Merritt and Margaret Benson, Debbie Pisca, uh, Tony and Rod Paddock, and Steve and Diane Frame, they had all left the Methodist Church and were now attending Nazarene Church. At the end of May, I attended our church for the first time, and God showed up again. When I heard Derek preach, I immediately felt the Holy Spirit, and I started crying. I had peace, and I knew this is where God was calling me to be. And many months later, I proudly joined this church. Now, before I close, I have some takeaways for you. One, beware. It is a lie from Satan to say that being a member of the local churches were going to get you in heaven. I believed that lie at 18 until my friend Danette told me about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We are told in Revelation that Jesus wants us to invite him into our lives. He says in Revelation, those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You have to invite him in. You have to ask God, forgive me of my sins. Recently, I read a powerful testimony in the magazine Voice of the Martyrs. It told of Mindy, whose she and her husband were Christians. They got married and moved into a small little Hindu village in northern India. They had a baby. At first, they had opportunities to witness to their neighbors and friends. But then some radical Hindus heard about their evangelism and begin to attack the young couple. Shortly afterwards, the young husband was killed and his mother was assaulted. Mindy and her mother realized they had to go back to her husband's home, yet they continue to this day to be harassed. Mindy has not given up her faith. In fact, she lives by the words of her late husband, I will live for Jesus or I will die for Jesus, but I will never turn back. Can you do that? Can you say that today? God made Mindy strong in her faith despite her heartache and persecution. And God can give every one of us today that kind of faith. Number two, preachers need a spiritual conversion and new birth before they can lead their churches closer to Christ. Solomon said not to be wise in our own eyes, but fear of the Lord and depart from evil. Unfortunately, it seems that many of our churches today are becoming lukewarm. They've become blinded by the evil world around us. We can no longer put up with feel-good Christianity. For too long, our pastors have just wanted to love us and care for us. 
But that's passive Christianity. And we can't do that any longer. And I'm getting Baptist now. We must repent and get ready for Jesus' return. We can't remain asleep. But know the time is coming when we will be held accountable for our words and actions. As a pastor, I never want to know that a church member goes to heaven and stands before God and says, Mary never told me the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except by me. I ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? Do you really know him as your Lord and Savior? I thought I did. I was a member of a church. I thought that's all I needed to get into heaven. But guess what? There's no grandchildren in heaven. God calls each of us, no matter our age, into a personal relationship. And he calls us for prayer every day, not just on Sunday morning. And it's not just for the preachers. I challenge you to take time every day to read your Bibles and to pray. There are devotionals, reading guides everywhere to help you with that. And if you're not praying for your own family, who is? We need to be lifting up our children and our grandchildren, as well as our pastors, our church, and our country. I believe we're living in evil times. Do I get an amen? Any of y'all feel that? The world has gone crazy. You can call me a doomsday preacher if you want to, but I believe Jesus is coming soon, and our nation must repent and turn back to God. God has called each of us, not just pastors, to evangelize the world, to go into all nations, preaching the gospel and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. There are evil forces surrounding us, calling us, daily to immoral lifestyles, false religions. Their storm clouds are brewing in the horizon. Chaos is seen not only in America, but we just saw what happened in Afghanistan this week. China and Russia are getting stronger with their military. But we can't just run and hide. We've got to seek Jesus and his power. We must be intentional in being in church every week, being in Sunday school, Packing the house on Wednesdays. We've got a prayer meeting on Wednesday nights down here at 6 o'clock. I believe we're going to face persecution before it's over. But I also believe revival is coming to Casper, to America, and the world. I want Jay, come on down, Jay. And he's going to play some music. Jessica's going to help him. And if you have never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, we had a young girl this morning in the first service. She prayed and accepted Christ. So don't be afraid to come down. And if you already knew, know Jesus but want to rededicate your life, or if you've got a loved one that is lost, I've got a prodigal that's 31 years old, but I pray for him every day. If you've got someone that you need to pray for about, come down. Derek, Mike, and I are going to be down here, and we would love to pray with you. In closing, God will equip each of us to become agents of change. May he break our hearts with what breaks his. Come and let us pray.